Steve. Morning, everyone. Lovely to see you today. So we've come to the penultimate uh, uh, reading of the sevenfold gifts of the Spirit that we've been learning about from Isaiah chapter 11. There are two phrases at the end. In fact, it didn't read it in this, partic- uh, this time. But there are two things that talk about the fear of the Lord. And they're slightly different. They have slightly different nuances. And the first one means piety or reverence. And the other means the gift of wonderment and adoration, which um, Peter Guinness is going to be finishing off for us next week. So the meaning of piety and reverence. Well, piety is the quality of being devoutly religious or reverent towards God. We tend not to use the word piety today. It's not something in our everyday language, is it? But simply put, if you are loyal, reverent, godly, and love the Lord your God with all your heart, you could probably be considered as pious. Pope Francis described piety as recognising that we belong to God, that we have a deep bond with him, that we're in a relationship that gives meaning to our whole life and keeps us in communion with him, even during the most difficult and troubled moments in life. Another word we could use which explains piety a bit more is this word reverence, which is defined as a feeling or attitude of deep respect tinged with awe. And with God in mind, it means honouring him, worshipping him, expressing gratitude to him and obeying his commandments. It means a loving submission to his lordship. This gift, these gifts from the Holy Spirit, enable us to worship God as our Father, not just as an emotional experience or a tingly feeling in our bodies, but with a biblical understanding of who God is and enables us to express outwardly what we feel inwardly. We may understand reverence a bit more when we think of the position of the one we revere. We revere our Queen Elizabeth II, not just because of her own character and who she is, but because of the office that she holds, her position as Queen. And yet God holds the highest position imaginable, King of kings and Lord of lords. And our Queen in turn, as we know from her Christmas broadcasts, reverences God as Lord of all herself. So let's have a look at some instances in the Bible. First of all, in the Old Testament, of people who reverence God. Well, the idea of reverence started with God in the first place and is often a consequence of being in his awesome presence. In the Old Testament, sinful humanity didn't know how to worship a holy God with reverence and awe. We probably still don't. So God helped people to understand holiness by giving them laws related to purity, holiness, and worship in Deuteronomy 5. These laws impressed upon the people the necessity for reverence in the presence of Almighty God. He is not to be trifled with. Leviticus 26, God says, You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. God's presence was physically shown by the presence of the Ark of the Covenant and God told them they were not to touch it as a matter of reverence. 
It was kept in the Holy of Holies inside the tabernacle, that tent, that special tent, which was the forerunner of the temple in Leviticus 16. And whoever disobeyed God's command about entering the Holy of Holies or who touched the ark died instantly. An example of this was a man called Uzzah, who in 1 Chronicles 13 reached out his hand to steady the ark, which was on a cart being pulled by oxen. But the Lord's anger burned against him because he had put his hand to the ark. So in most cases, reverence was the automatic response of anyone who came into the presence and the grandeur of Almighty God. And we saw this beautifully portrayed this morning in that reading from Exodus 3 about Moses. God had made this particular spot in the desert a holy place. Moses was first of all drawn to the flickering flames and then he heard the voice calling his name, Moses, Moses. And as he responded with, here I am, he was told to take off his sandals for the place where he was standing is holy ground. And he was so frightened, we're told, that he hid his face. Taking off his sandals was an act of reverence, conveying Moses' own unworthiness before God. And then if you read the story onwards, if you do that when you get home, you'll find that God explains he has a plan to save the Israelites from slavery. And Moses was part of that plan. And he questions and doubts this, and God responds with that famous line in verse 14, I am who I am. He reveals his name to Moses, and that's the name by which he will use to ask the Israelites to follow him. Now, others in the Old Testament, when they met God, also responded by taking off their shoes. In Joshua 5, we are told that Joshua fell on his face and was told to take off his shoes when he saw the commander of the Lord's army standing in front of him with a drawn sword. And later on in Numbers 20, Moses and Aaron fell on their faces at the entrance to the tent of meeting. And David in 1 Chronicles 21 looked up and saw the angel of the Lord standing between earth and heaven with a drawn sword in his hand extended over Jerusalem. So the natural and immediate response of David and his elders was to fall face down before the angel. So there will always be a response when we come into the awesome presence of God Almighty. Moses and others removed their footwear, and perhaps that speaks of the protective covering we may need to remove in order to expose our vulnerabilities, our status, our position, laying these all down before the great I am. Now we're going to look at some references in the New Testament. Well, Jesus came across false piety and false reverence many times in his ministry. Matthew 23 is a stinging condemnation of the Pharisees who put on this outward show of reverence, but inside were full of greed and self-indulgence. And in the beginning of Matthew 6, Jesus speaks about the hypocrites who make a grand show of praying on the corners of the synagogue and fasting. It's the look at me syndrome, how holy I am, because I stand praying while you lot don't. Instead, Jesus said, go into your room, close the door, 
and pray to your Father in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. True reverence does not draw attention to itself. Jesus, on the other hand, taught his disciples to be holy on the inside. He taught his disciples to begin his, their prayers with, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed means to set apart as holy. And we are to treat the name of God with reverence because he is holy. And that brings us to a very practical aspect of reverence. Do you wince when people say openly, excuse me, oh my God, I do. It's even worse when I hear it from children's voices. Using God's name as an exclamation mark, OMG, is horrible. It's tossed about as though it was of no more significance than when we say the word, wow. We may not intend to be irreverent, but when we invoke God's name in casual chatter, we are being just that. Jesus, of course, sets us the wonderful example in Hebrews 5. It explains the reverence that Jesus showed to his father. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who is able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Jesus brought to God in his prayer deep reverence and submission and willingness to do what God wanted. And later the writer to Hebrews encourages Christians to follow that example of Jesus in Hebrews 12 verse 28. Therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken and let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Some verses in the New Testament refer to how the early church conducted themselves, and there was actually a wonderful result of that. Acts 9 says, So the church throughout the whole of Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was edified, and walking in the respect and reverential fear of the Lord, they continued to increase and were multiplied. What a wonderful thing that things will grow, numbers will grow, people will grow as individuals in the Lord when we reverence our Father. And Ephesians 5, Paul writes, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. We don't like the sound of that word submitting, do we? But it is a part of reverencing God. And in fact, I came across two phrases that sort of outline it a bit more clearly. One said, follow the leadership of one another out of reverence for Christ. And another phrase said, voluntary yielding in love. That's what submission means. And of course, at the end of the Bible in Revelations 4, we read about the 24 elders falling down before him who sits on the throne, worshipping him laying their crowns before him and praising God. So what does reverence mean for us today? Well, I think reverence for God is perhaps a quality sometimes lacking among some areas of Christianity. Instead of reverence that we've seen people give to God in the Bible, modern Christianity has ad adopted a Jesus is my buddy sort of attitude 
And that grossly downplays the holiness, power, and righteous wrath of the sovereign creator. True reverence does not refer to God as the big guy in the sky, or the man upstairs, or my mate. Once we truly understand who God is and have a personal relationship with him, then surely we will reverence him as he deserves. Even the thief on the cross rebuked the other thief by saying, don't you fear God? Then he turned to Jesus and honoured him as king. And when God met with the Israelites in Exodus 19 on Mount Sinai, they had to wash themselves and put on clean clothes and abstain from sexual relationships. And yet it was only Moses and Aaron who were allowed to go up onto the mountain to meet with God. The people had to stay outside a boundary line at the base of the mountain again on pain of death. And later when the tabernacle and the temple were built, the people still had to keep a distance from God and only the high priest once a year could enter the Holy of Holies where that Ark of the Covenant was. But the wonderful gift of Jesus Christ is that he has offered us the chance to draw near to God as by his death he broke through that curtain separating God from man in the Holy of Holies. Paul writes to Ephesians, says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. Our high priest, Jesus, has made a way for us to enter. And going back to the writer of Hebrews 4, we can with confidence all approach the throne of grace. And James 4 verse 8 says, Come near to God, and he will come near to you. There seems to be a bit of a contradiction there, doesn't there? On the one hand, God, on the one hand, God is too holy for us to approach him. And yet on the other hand, he calls us by name, as he did Moses. And Jesus said in John chapter 10, he calls his own sheep by name. And later on, Jesus says in chapter 15 of John, No longer do I call you servants, but I call you friends. So we have to hold this in balance, the awesome fear and reverence of God and the fact that he calls us by name and invites us to draw near. We can come near, but that doesn't mean we take God for granted or approach him with a lack of respect or in a shallow or frivolous manner. Instead, we draw near to God as an invited guest before the king with thankful hearts and a desire to worship, serve and obey him. So how can you and I put reverence into practice today? Actually, I'm going to follow that with another question. How would we respond if we saw a burning bush in front of us on our path? Would we take off our shoes, as Moses did, as a symbol, perhaps, of laying down our own accomplishments and our status before the King of Kings, or as a sign of our own unworthiness? 
Perhaps in your mind's eye you might like to do that now. Or you might, if you feel led, do it physically to take your shoes off. Perhaps we may be going through a desert experience and need to look and see that the Lord is close by and calls us by name. Perhaps we need to be reminded this morning that God sometimes does the unexpected to draw us to himself. Let's be willing to investigate those unexpected happenings and be open to God's surprises. Perhaps we can follow the example of other Christians, like St Francis of Assisi, who was described as being a man who was almost piety incarnate and who said himself, I do not merely love God, I like God. I want what God wants. That's why I'm merry. Perhaps we can make this morning that connection between piety and reverence with obedience and service to the Lord and even with submitting to one another, voluntarily yielding out of love. Perhaps we can ask the Lord to help us live more holy lives. As Peter writes, as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. And as Paul wrote to Titus, say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. Maybe, and this might be revolutionary, and I know it is what is on Martin's heart, perhaps we can think about coming into church a few minutes earlier to sit quietly and pray before the service because we can catch up with each other afterwards in coffee. That wall hanging over there is flames of fire. Perhaps we can focus on that as we come into church each week. May that wall hanging remind us of the flames that Moses saw as out of reverence he took his shoes off before God Almighty. I think many of us will agree that we all need more reverence in our lives for God, both inwardly in our hearts and expressed outwardly in our lives and verbally in our mouths. And yet, it's not a matter of striving to be more holy or striving to be more reverence or striving to fear the Lord because our wonderful verse in Isaiah 11 tells us that all these gifts are the gracious empowering of the Holy Spirit. And as we surrender to the Lord, he will perfect these gifts in each one of us, including this spirit of the fear of the Lord. So as part of that process of receiving and growing in these sevenfold gifts of the Spirit, may we all respond like Moses and come before the Lord our King in a true spirit of reverence and the fear of the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen.